Welcome to the Top of the Pile podcast, where you'll find some of the most interesting authors in conversation about everything from their lives, their books, and their big ideas. From health, science, and true crime, to fiction, history, and romance, we'll bring you fascinating conversations about subjects you never even knew about, and some that you do. You can also get more bookish recommendations by subscribing to the Top of the Pile newsletter. Just visit simonandschuster.com.au to join our mailing list. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. This podcast was recorded in May of 2017. Sadly, Valley Little has since passed away. Valley contributed enormously to the Australian food industry, including helping to launch Delicious Magazine. Her passion for food and best-selling cookbooks set her apart as one of the most respected food journalists in Australia. We are deeply saddened at the news of her passing, and our thoughts are with her family at this time. Hi, my name's Valley Little. I'm a food writer and cook, and it's my very great pleasure to be talking today with a very good friend and also an inspiration to me, Rebecca Sullivan. Um, She's the Adelaide-based home cook who launched the Granny Skills Movement in Australia. Rebecca's new book, The Art of the Natural Home, is perfect for those interested in sustainability, natural products and mindfulness. Part cookbook, part how-to guide, the book features natural recipes and products for the entire home, from the kitchen pantry to the cleaning cupboard, from your makeup bag to the medicine cabinet, and happily a few treats for the drinks trolley too. (laughs) Oh, we like that. This inspiring guide is a must for anyone interested in living a simpler, more purposeful life. Rebecca herself has a fascinating story. The passing of her award-winning Baker grandmother set Rebecca on a mission to find her nan's Victorian sponge recipe. This mission grew into a life-encompassing personal and professional passion to restore an appreciation in the incredible wealth of knowledge and recipes from yesteryear. She is now an eco-agronomist, activist, food writer, urban farmer and entrepreneur. And I'm exhausted just naming all those things. <laughs> I know, I'm exhausted listening to it sometimes. I know you're a busy girl and you have many strings to your bow. And as I said, you are an inspiration. Um, but this book is something rather special and I've known about it for some time. We've talked about it. It was on the drawing board. You have also been my sounding board at many points (laughs) in this book process. And now it's come to fruition. And we were saying earlier the excitement that you get when you sell your first copy and the excitement that you have when you actually see it in print. You must be so proud. So tell us, what inspired you to write this book? So the inspiration, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, I guess it really all started with my great-grandmother. So I'd been working in food for quite a long time by the point that she sadly passed away. But whenever I say she sadly passed away, she had a blooming good inning. She was 100 when she passed away. And she puts that down to nine cups of tea a day, of course. Um, But when she did pass away, my mum kept me a a bunch of her things in in a shoebox because I was living overseas in London. And my, uh, when we went through it together, we found all of these certificates and medals. And it turned out that my great-grandmother, Lil, 
was this award-winning baker, you know, from the 30s, these beautiful copper, old, you know, tarnished medals from the women's wow. own cookery was, competitions. Right, and the Country Women's Association, exactly. that type of thing. Exactly. How lovely. So the women's, women's own, I think the equivalent in Australia would be like Women's Day magazine. Right. And this is, we, we don't even know exactly what date these sort of copper medals came from, but we think about the 30s. And the certificates all said Victoria Sponge. So she was this award-winning baker and here I am working in food and spending, you know, a good five, ten years working in food and having been in all of the kitchens of all of these, you know, chefs and I'd never seen her cook. And you can imagine in an instant my little heart broke into a million pieces Mm. and this immense amount of regret came across me in thinking, wow, I didn't learn how to make that directly from her. And I thought about that and I thought I can't be the only person that has regret around not spending time with their elders. And ever since then, I've been on this mission to create what we now call the granny skills movement, which is more a theory around, I guess, stepping back, living a bit simpler and living the way our grandmothers do. And to me, my grandmother's a prime example of sustainability. She eats locally, seasonally, and she doesn't waste a Thing. Yeah, and I mean all the things that we're talking about that are sort of the buzzwords at the moment, and that's yeah. just you know been part of their life, life forever. And I and I always make a bit of a joke, you know, my nan does it not because she's a hipster, <laughs> you know, and it is very hipster to live yeah. that way, but she did it because she had no choice, and it now makes it makes perfect sense for us to all just live a little bit like our grandmas do. And so we started thinking about what what are those things, and they're granny skills. Granny skills are knowing how to preserve fruit or um, pickle things or ferment or, you know, crochet a a tablecloth or whatever it is. But these are all these things that we've now sort of, I guess, um, termed granny skills. And that's where it all started for me. I can remember my mother-in-law used to make her own soap Mm -hmm. and I used to think at the time, gosh, you know, life's too short to make your own soap. (laughs) I know. Go to the chemist and buy some. But actually when when I look at what went into it and the fact that it was such a natural product, you know, it's such a lovely thing to do. Mm -hmm. And if you're gifting something like that, how special to give somebody something that you've made with love. Maybe so much love and so much. And and I guess if you think about the chain of it as well, going to your local farmer's market or whatever and buying the goat's milk directly from a farmer or buying some of the the, the herbs and the flowers or picking them from your own garden, it's just thoughtful, but it's not just thoughtful. It's if you think about the bigger picture, it's environmental because the traceability of it, you know, we're all so overwhelmed with labels and words that we have no idea what they mean. If you mm. pick up a, you know, a bottle of shampoo as an example and it's got all of these things and we don't know what any of those That's things scary. mean. Yeah. It's so scary. And we think about so if we think about it from a health perspective an environmental perspective, but also economical. And I think that's a, that's also one of the key things to take from from this book is is it's actually cheaper to do it this way. And then you've got control over what you're putting into your body. Yeah, and exactly. I, Explain to us the term natural home. So what what would you consider a natural home to be? I think, and it's important to note that this is not me being preachy, this is just me being... Um, someone who's had to learn from their own mistakes and also realising that um, I was so overwhelmed. I've been through that whole thing of trying to learn how to read a back label. Um, And I've banged on about what we put into our bodies from a 
eating locally and seasonally perspective for so many years now that I started to think I'd sort of look in my in my bathroom cabinet at all the makeups and all of the you know things that I'm slathering over yeah. my body and I thought well actually that all goes into the same place so why am it I not? becomes bigger picture doesn't it, it? does yeah. so and you look under your you know under your sink and there's a bit of bleach here and there's this there and that number and all of these toxins everywhere. And I thought, well, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite, actually, because I'm telling you to go and eat this way, but I'm still, you know, buying makeup that's, I don't know, tested on animals or got 16E numbers in it or all of those things sort of add up and they start compounding. And when you want to live naturally and you want to, um, you know, and I'm not perfect at this, I'm still learning and I'm always going to be learning, but it just became big picture. And I thought, well, if I'm going to tell you what to put in your body, I'm going to tell you what to put or, or talk to you, have a conversation about start practicing what I preach by way of what I put on my body as well. And yeah. it sort of started there. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that it covers, you know, all the cleaning products that you have in the home. Yeah. You know, what 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 you put in your bath, um, everything. It all goes to the same spot, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. and in fact, actually, if you think about what goes into your skin and and what you breathe in, it actually goes quicker into your body through your bloodstream that way than by digesting it through your stomach anyway. So surely that should be just as important. And if I look at the way my nan cleans, she genuinely still like cleans with vinegar and yeah, lemon and bicarb and it works. <laughs> yeah. And it works. So it's not just, you know, some nice fluffy idea. Yeah. It actually genuinely works. Yeah, exactly. But good old bicarb. <laughs> good old bicarb. There ain't nothing you can think of. And I always laugh because I think of if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, you'll know the scene where um, the dad sprays Windex on everything. I know that's completely not natural, but it kind of reminds yeah. me a bit like yeah. that because I'm running around with like a tube of bicarb behind everyone, trying to <laughs> fix everything, clean up people's stains. So if you could if you could choose your top five tips for keeping a natural home, what would they be? My first tip would be to start under the sink because I think that's where the bulk of it tends to A lot of the ba- babies, live. yeah. Definitely. And I would put under my sink um, a packet of bicarb and I would put a bunch of vinegar and some really good coarse salt under there and I would switch. That's where I would start. I would switch out the, you know, the spray and wipes and those yeah. sort of things. Um, and also even if you think about things like wood polish and stuff, you can make that using using a bit of citrus, you know. Mm. Citrus is amazing on wood. I would start there and I would probably go into my bathroom from there and I would start um, – making one thing at a time. I don't think this is a, oh, let's all go out and change our entire life overnight. It's, you know, that's not practical practical mm. for anyone and that's very, you know, not the right thing to be doing. I think if you take one little baby step. So, I mean, one thing that I, I have done, did straight away was I learned how to make blusher. Blush is 40 bucks a pop, yeah, you know. I know. The blusher recipe in this book costs about Thirty cents. Are you going to share it? With us? So it's it's arrowroot powder, raw cacao powder, um, or cocoa. Mm. If you haven't got raw cacao powder, that's absolutely fine. Um, and then you can use a little bit of um, dried beetroot powder or some rose powder, or you can buy something really awesome. And this would be my first, my my third tip is to invest in some um, mica or mica powder, which is a natural mineral that gives all beautiful colours. And that's 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 wow. blusher. And you'll taste good. Too. And you taste good. <laughs> and you you walk around like smelling. If you smell people's cheeks, I mean, I I put something on my skin this morning, and I was like secretly wanting to. <laughs> but I guess. 
scheme. I guess that's how they used, used to make of those things. Of course it would have been. Before, you know, they became commercialised. Definitely, and, and before chemicals became um, more researched. I mean, it was always just came from natural food sources and dyes and all of those things came from those things. And then that fourth, the fourth tip would be use the blusher in your hair as dry shampoo. Wow. You don't put the colour in there, but the cocoa and the arrowroot, the arrowroot being a starch, draws out the oils and right. that works and that saves you 10 bucks a tin. Look, I'm, I do love Bastis, I'm not going to lie, uh, <laughs> which is the spray version, but this is much more natural, not using an aerosol. Doubles up, you can use it on your on your cheeks there too. And I think um, just being kind to yourself whilst doing this, don't, um, I think we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves in, in trying to be you know, perfect at all of it. And, and conscious can, being a conscious consumer can often be very frustrating. And I think you don't have to do all of this overnight, like I said. So yeah. one, and I think, one thing uh, at a time. I think one thing that, that I've realised too is that particularly women, and if you're busy and you've got families or, you know, busy career, you don't take enough time out for yourself. No. And it's really important to step back sometimes and, you know, just run a, a lovely bath mm -hmm. or give yourself a you know, homemade face mask. And it's it's something a bit, bit special. Definitely. Yeah. And I think also the perception with picking up a book like this is, oh, I don't have time to make my own. Well, actually, you know, it takes 30 seconds to make a honey and rose toner. Mm. It's a little bit of warm water, a teaspoon of beautiful raw honey, um, coconut oil if you've got dry skin, a, little, a dash of apple cider if you've got oily skin, um, and a few drops of rose oil or some rose yeah. water or and, some rose water. And most of the things everyone would have in, in their pantry anyway. Definitely. Yeah. And we've got this store cupboard staples list in the book in the front, right at the front of the book, which sort of says, you know, if you want to maybe do this whole book, get these, you know, 15 things and you'll be set. But absolutely, you probably have bicarb, you've got salt, honey, coconut oil, coconut yeah. sugar, you can use normal sugar. You know, we're talking about things like coffee grounds. When you've finished your cafetiere of coffee, they can be put into a body scrub. You know, it's just, it's just, I guess, um, taking, yes, a little bit of time, but not thinking that this is going to um, take, you know, th three weekends to, to change yeah. your life. It really isn't. And you do one thing at a time. And then what I, what I think will happen is you'll start with one or two recipes and then you'll be so excited and yeah. so chuffed I, with yourself. I can imagine. Uh, I, I tell people you know, working in food, that I usually learn something new every day, mm -hmm. which which you do. But with this book, I, I can imagine I'm going to learn so much and want to make some some ch changes for the good. Definitely. And we're never going to be masters of, of these areas, no. are we? I mean, there's always, always so much information and so much to learn. But like I said, baby baby steps. Baby steps. Tell me about the, uh, the recipes because you and I obviously, you know, have conversations all the time mm -hmm. about food and cooking and I know that you've got some delicious recipes in there. So um, what, what sort of recipes are you giving your reader? So I, I guess I wanted to take the granny skills concept throughout the entire book and so for me, if I thought about the things that I, I want to master or be able to have control over, and when I say control, I mean know what's in them. It's things like, um, you know, like making bacon because I'm, I'm very particular about making sure I'm sourcing ethical meat and sometimes I, f I actually find bacon to be one of the hardest things to buy yeah. from a shop. Yeah. 
because it's very confusing around sulfurs and nitrates and all of these preservatives, but the bacon recipe in there, as an example, it's, you know, it's so easy to make. You go and go to your butcher and you buy your piece of pork belly and then you can just do it yourself, you know, So do, do you actually cure it? You yeah, cure so meat? but in a Ziploc bag, you know, Gosh. so you can do all sorts of things like honey and coffee or, you know, salt and spice. You put it in a Ziploc bag with the marinade and you turn it over one, once for seven days and then let it air, air dry or put it in an oven and, and dry it out and there you've got bacon. Do you know Gosh. what I mean? It's so and how easy. long does the bacon keep? The ba- bacon keeps a couple of weeks because wow. it's had the salt, the contact with the salt. And I think people, people's perceptions, and we've all gone a little bit too far with the oc health and safety thing, yeah. and I say this as a priming granny skill, would be that my nan, you know, she would prod a chicken if the juices ran clear, it was cooked. And yeah. now we all talk about using a thermometer and making sure, yeah. you know, I agree with health and safety and it is it is important, but there's such a thing as being too sterile too, yeah. definitely. And, you know, I think those wonderful flavours of things like, you know, bacon, mm-hmm. which um, these days you, you, you buy commercial bacon and you you put it in the pan and all this water comes out yep. and it just doesn't taste, you know, like that, that beautiful flavour. And when you have, you know, the real real McCoy, mm-hmm. it's really so delicious. So true, yeah. especially when you know the entire chain of where that's come from. And, and um, you know, going back to health, I guess um, I run fermentation classes quite regularly with my cousin who's a ferment, has a fermentation business called Gut Feeling. And for me, I've learned so much just by doing those classes with him and and gut health, you know, it may be a buzzword, but people have been fermenting foods for thousands and thousands of years. Um, And you even have, can go back as far as Indigenous culture, there was different ways of fermenting things, whether they were accidental or not. Gut health is is the the most single most important thing that we have, and if we can have control over that, so we've put in the book is how to make your own sauerkraut and how to make your own ginger beer and kombucha. They're three, you know, simple things that we all get a bit scared of because all fermented sounds dangerous. Mm. It sounds um, like I have to be in a controlled environment. Well, you actually don't. And I think what the book is is it's also breaking down some perceptions of what people have. Um, in their minds. Yeah, people are scared off, aren't they, a little mm-hmm. bit by, you know, the, the, those sort of words that have become quite, quite you know, trendy mm-hmm. at, at, at the moment. And, and I think people think, oh, I couldn't possibly do that mm-hmm. and what's it going to do to me? And I think, you know, w- w- with this book you've given people an explanation and then t- told them a simplistic way of producing it, which is just fabulous. Yeah, and I think that's also like part and parcel of being like yourself, you know, sort of self-taught cook, you know, going through working in the industry for such a long time and um, and learning as you go because mm. you can afford to make, you make the mistakes because then that's how you learn how to be able to write a recipe, for example, is by making, you know, yeah. in your beautiful book, how many times did you test recipes yeah. over and over, three that's, or four times probably before you'd yeah, probably done people, it even more than that. People think that you get it right straight away, yeah. but they don't realise that, well, I, I have a rule of thumb that by the third time, if it's still not tasting great, mm-hmm. it's, it's going out. in the bin. And, <laughs> it's, <yeah. laughs> it's not in the current book anyway. Exactly. So, but, you know, often it it is, it's a process yeah. that you go through to actually get to, to that end result. Yeah. 
And so um, what what other recipes have you got? Oh, gosh. So there's there's the usual sort of suspects, which, you know, were in my last book as well, um, of the pickles and the preserves and chutneys. And, but it's all got that same sort of, you know, let's work with the seasons and mm. let's work with um, the leftovers and not, not waste stuff because that's yeah. what my grandmother does best. You know, she's the master of the art of rocking up to her home and old Mother Hubbard's cupboard is definitely bare and from nowhere you've got this feast. And I don't mm. know how she does it, but she does it because she cooks this way, you know. So, um, and there's some beautiful drinks recipes in there, shrubs. And um, so shrubs is is a vinegar-based sort of cordial, I guess, fruit-based vinegar, which is really good for your belly. Um, citronello, which happens to be my favourite. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about limoncello and that we always have these gluts at certain times of years, don't we? So yeah. right now it costs a fortune to buy a lemon, but come, you know, August there's going to be lemons everywhere. Mm. Same with oranges, and I thought, well, I always seem to have so many oranges, and there's only so much marmalade a young lady can eat. Yeah. Um. So you know, we turned the the limoncello into a citronella and just added those things. So I guess it's just about, um, you know, these are the ba- these are base recipes that you can play around play with around the seasons with. with That's and- what I love. I love recipes where you can use it as a guide, mm-hmm. but then you adapt it to what you've got at home or what mm-hmm. you know what's in season and. Make it work work for you. Absolutely, and yeah. I think I think that's um, that's an, another good good tip and good piece of advice for everyone is don't feel like my nan hadn't written any of her recipes down as a prime example when I wrote the last book, and so for me to decipher grandma's recipes literally which would be a pinch of this and a handful of that and you know what it's like you've yeah. read it's like throw this in and chuck this in and a splash of that and when you're actually writing a cookbook you have to get the measurements right but it's actually I find it quite hard to cook that way for me I am a bit of a spontaneous like, yeah, cook, yeah and I'll go to the market and whatever's there is what I'll cook for the week you know and if I've done a roast chook then that roast chook's going to last me a week because I'm going to make broth and then I'm going to make some soup and then I'm going to chuck a ham hock in it at the end of the yeah. week and and that's the way I've I guess learned to cook but that's the way my nan cooks um and I think that it's really important for people to feel empowered um to have some basics and some basic guidance, but don't be afraid to have fun, you know. Yeah, don't absolutely. be afraid to opt out, um, you know, some some lemon for a finger lime, you know. I, I'm i obviously very passionate about Indigenous foods um, and Australian native ingredients, and that's how I've learnt to cook with those things which are really yeah. unfamiliar. But don't be afraid to, you know, if your neighbour's got a pomegranate tree and it looks like they're not using them, knock on the door, you know, bake them a cake and swap. (laughs) You know, let's get connected with community again. Let's make gifts for each other. Let's, you know, be thoughtful and share the love (laughs) and share the recipes. And and, um, You you do have an awful lot of of strings to your bow. Just tell us um, a little bit about the other things you're you're involved in. Yeah, so I always feel like it's a lot of things and people go, gosh, you do a lot. But they're all with this same sort of mission around sustainability and and protecting our elders' knowledge and skills and traditions. And so four years ago I met my, my boyfriend, Damien, and he's of Aboriginal heritage. So for the probably the first year and a half of our relationship, he would hear me banging on about these granny granny skills and, and grandpa skills, which I I founded on the basis of my mate Costa from Gardening Australia, who to me is like the prime example of someone who is protecting grandpa skills, which is a bit more about the shed in the garden. And Damien would go, oh, 
people would ask him what I do and he'd go, I have no idea, you know. <laughs> it's always a bit of a giggle and I She have. talks a lot. Yeah, she <laughs> talks a lot. What does she do for a living? I don't know. But then I think something started to sink in when, very sadly, his his pop was diagnosed with, with dementia and um, and the way they pass down stories in, in his culture is is oral. So there is nothing written down and if he hadn't, heard that from his pop or his dad or his family or his relatives, then he doesn't know and it's not going to get taught to him. And so he started to think about that, I think, in a different way because he'd heard this continuous story of protecting our skills of our elders, you know. And then he said, we've got to do something about this. What can we do? And I said, well, I've obviously become really interested in Australian native foods through him and I had my massive aha moment when I realised that I'd been banging on about local food for so many years and I was as food racist as the next person. I hadn't even tried any wattle seed or lemon myrtle. I'd never tried anything truly local to my country. And so I became a bit obsessed with that and we founded um, our wellbeing brand called Wandu and in his language it, it means feel good. Um, and when we say feel good, we obviously mean it has to taste delicious first and foremost. But good also for us means socially and environmentally because we are trying to champion Australian native ingredients and get them into everyone's pantry because you can sub out lemon with lemon myrtle and you can, you know, use kangaroo instead of beef, like all of these things that we need to get our heads around, mm-hmm. I think. And so we founded this brand and we have a range of products, but we really are, I guess, positioning ourselves as educators. Um, and the granny skills movement combines very nicely with that. So I feel like it's the same thing. I, and I also, um, I teach at Le Cordon Bleu, which is wonderful. I teach the food entrepreneurs degree. I teach a few subjects in that and work on events and 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 run workshops. But um, predominantly, you know, it's the writing and the educating and the mm. sharing these beautiful skills with everyone. And mo- and everyone has them in them. They've just got to be, be shown that, that I, they I, do. I don't know where you find the time to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that process for me is, 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 I mean, you see how excited I get about it and you've had the same experience. Mm. Every time you sell a book to someone, you get so chuffed. It is. That it, someone, it's great because you put... You do put a lot into it. Your and, heart and soul. And your name's on the cover. Yeah. And you want to be proud of it and you want people to love it of course. as much as you do. And I want people to take it so much away from it and then be able to share that with other people. I mean, I think everything in life is about sharing skills and, and we've lost so many of them, so many of them. And, you know, we've all gotten so caught up and, and I'm a sucker for it at times too, you know, in technology and I think if we all took a breath yeah. <laughs> and stepped back and just lived a little bit like our grandparents, a little bit more like our grandparents, we would all be so much happier. And talk to, to them too yep. because, you know, I think that's that sort of art of communication and, you know, I, I think how many wonderful recipes are hidden out there, you know, that we just need to get down on a bit of paper. Definitely. Um, you know that Victoria sponge <laughs> that took um, that took a lot of spending time with my grandmother. So my great grandmother's um, daughter Pauline, who's thankfully still with us, and she's eighty three, and and um, is our you know the matriarch of our family, and um, spending some time in the kitchen with her because she knew it because she'd seen it. She'd obviously grow up grown up on the apron strings of, of her mum. But what happened is as my great-grandmother got older, my nan started doing all the cooking. So that's why we were always, I guess, eaters, but we never really thought that we needed to, you know, be in there yeah. with her. So we just play, kept playing around with it, playing around with it. 
until one of them, her face lit up like a little candle and I went, that's the one, yeah. that's the recipe. So um, it took a little bit of time, but God, it was worth it. Oh, there's nothing more delicious than a oh, beautiful, I simple know. sponge. And, and, and um, you know, whenever I eat Victoria sponge, I think of her and it brings so much joy to me. And I think we've created, um, I guess, some momentum and when I do talks in front of people and I talk about this idea and this concept and I talk about how it came about, I watch people in the audience and people well up mm, because so many mm. people have regret. Yeah. Well, the book, The Art of the Natural Home, is something rather special. I can't wait to go home and devour it from page to page. And next time I see you, I'll be glowing with all these <laughs> Wonderful you'll home be remedies. Glowing and you'll be smelling like a piece of chocolate, and I'll want to kiss your cheeks. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you so much. Um, I wish you the very best of luck. I know you're heading off on a, a tour to launch it in the UK, yeah. which is very exciting. Um, and I just know that people are going to love it as much as they love you. Thank you so much, Valley. Thank you. <laughs>